I just, I can't do it right now. And maybe like later in, in life when things kind of loosen up, free up. And my heart kind of breaks because these, that second type of student, I love them. I can tell they're very respectful, but they politely reject the gospel. They politely reject God. And I don't want to sugarcoat it, but polite rejection is simply outright rebellion. Polite rejection, polite rejection of the gospel is simply outright rebellion against God. You might be respectful about it. You might not be causing a lot of trouble, but there are millions of people who die every year. Good people, respectful people, very loving grandmas, grandpas, moms, dads, brothers, and sisters, but they have politely rejected a holy God. And my heart breaks because if I operate from the mentality that most of you here are not saved, what about you? Where do you stand before God? Have you politely rejected God? I want you to know that that is outright rebellion. If you stand before God when you die and say, hey, at least I was nice about rejecting you, it really doesn't matter because it is still an outright rebellion. Another pastor I once heard say it, that delayed disobedience is outright, outright disobedience. Delayed disobedience or delayed obedience is outright disobedience. Like when your mom or dad says, oh, can you take out the trash? You say, oh, I'll do it later. So you're planning to obey, but at a later time, but that, if you don't realize, is outright defiance and disobedience. And the same applies um, to the gospel. You could be polite about it, but you could still waltz your way away from God when you die. And I wouldn't want that from any of you guys. So weaving back into the parable, how does the master respond when he sees that the three individuals reject, uh, reject his initial um, invitation? Let's go to the next slide. And we're going to see that God continues to generously extend the gospel invitation to Gentiles, a non-Jew, and outcasts. Let's look at verses 21 to 24. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the, those men who are invited shall taste my banquets. If we go to the next uh, picture. So when the three individuals reject the invitation, the master says, okay, well, servant, you go out into the streets, find the blind, find the poor, find the lame, invite them, fill the banquets. And the master says, well, there's still room. Like, what should I do? Should we just cap it? And the master says, no, get, go to the highways, go to the hedges and compel people to come in, to fill the banquet. And so this master could have simply said, you know what? Let's just make the wedding small. Let's just make the banquet small. We'll just keep it more low key. But out of his generosity, he says, no, I want to extend my hospitality to those who are needy. 
the people who are poor and crippled and blind and lame, as well as those out in the highways. It's not because the master is insecure, like, oh my gosh, it's such a small party. It's going to look so lame. I need to invite people so I can look more presentable. He's not doing it because of that. He's doing it because he wants to be generous, because he wants to be hospitable. He wants to be kind. And remember the context of this parable. Jesus is rebuking the Jewish religious leaders who are actually first in line to God's kingdom. But because they rejected Jesus, this was an outright rebellion. And so God looks to the people who are marginalized in society. God looks to the poor, the crippled, the lame. And throughout scripture, you'll actually see God's heart for the poor, the marginalized, the outcast. God has compassion for these. It's why later in Luke 15, you'll see that Jesus, he'll later eat with another group of people, not Pharisees, but the tax collectors, the sinners. I think if Jesus was here on earth, I think I could probably imagine him grab dinner with a couple members from the transgender community. I could probably envision Jesus doing that. I could also see Jesus maybe grabbing coffee with prostitutes and strippers. I could all, I even see Jesus interacting with that um, outside the church gates. And maybe that's surprising to us. It's surprising to me when I thought about marginalized in society. Jesus would probably be spending his time. Move to this pulpit, Mike. Uh, thank you, John. I remember um, this passage really convicts me because if I can be honest with you, if I see a homeless person, I think my first thought is sometimes not compassion, but almost like annoyance or like, oh, I got to keep my distance. Like, you know, they sometimes smell. Sometimes they're always annoying you asking for money. You don't know where they're going to spend their money. And to be honest, I was really convicted when I read this passage and I thought, um, wow, God has such a heart for tax collectors and sinners. And when I look at my own heart, I don't see that. In fact, this past week, I just saw a homeless guy pass by our church gates and he was like cussing at me. <laughs> um, it's because he, I turned on the lights in the church because it was like 6 or 7 p.m. And I think he was trying to hide out there. And when I turned on the lights, he got really mad, started cussing and ran out or not. He just like walked out. And I remember feeling like, annoyed or offended or like, yeah, I just, you know, stay off our property type of feeling. And this passage convicted me, like, I wonder if Jesus would have done the same thing. I think Jesus would have acted differently. I think he would have gone up to him, maybe in the middle of him cussing at Jesus, and he would have embraced him or at least try to have a conversation with him. And this passage shows us that God has a heart for the marginalized. Um, the people who are outcasts in society. And I found myself when I was prepping the sermon, like just asking God, can I have your eyes to see these homeless people the way you do? Because I just, a lot of times I don't see it. I see them all the time at freeway entrances, but I just don't have a compassion. And that's different from the God I see from the Bible. And so that convicted me. And I'm not sure if it convicts you, but we see that God, if God loves the least of these, how much more should we love those around us? And so God loves the marginalized society. But secondly, we see that God loves the Gentiles. In Romans 18, it says that 
the gospel salvation, it's proclaimed first to the Jews, but then to the Gentiles. So then when the Jews reject Christ, God says, all right, I'm going to open the gates to Gentiles, which is any non-Jew, which is us. I hope you see how direct of an application this is because we're at first Chinese Baptist church. This is a complete application. We should probably call ourselves Gentile Baptist church because we're not Jewish. We're not first in line. We're last in line. The fact that God even chose us is an act of his grace. We shouldn't be called first Gentile Baptist church because there's probably a lot of other Gentile churches established before us. We'd probably be like 5,000 if, you know, Gentile Baptist church. I hope you know God didn't show his love to us because we deserved it. But in spite of us not deserving God's love, he shows his grace towards us. It's a miracle. And it's why FCBC exists today. We are non-Jews. We are Gentiles. But yet God extends his invitation to us. Our reaction should be gratitude every single day. I remember when I was a sophomore uh, in high school, uh, I experienced a bit of this because I, uh, I crashed my youth pastor's wedding. I wasn't invited. Uh, I was like, hey, how come I'm not invited? <laughs> and he said, oh, well, well I, I think I, I heard etiquette. You can attend the ceremony, but you shouldn't attend the reception because you have to pay for the food. So me and my three friends went to his ceremony in downtown LA and I saw my youth pastor. His name was Steven. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so good. He's like, you know, um, it's a really beautiful church. And I saw my like counselors there and I saw him like kiss and like, you know, they did the thing I'm like, wow, that was really, really cool. Um, I'm like, all right, well, let's go home. And so I go home, my three friends and I say to myself, you know what? I feel like I, I kind of want to go to the reception, but, um, I, I wasn't invited. And my friend next to me, Jeff said, oh yeah, I wasn't invited either. Like we weren't that close to him. But the driver told me, he was like, oh yeah, well I was invited, but I mean, none of you guys could go. So we're just going to go home. And my older brother, William, sitting in the passenger seat said, hey, I was invited too. And Tony was like, wait, what? You were? And that made us realize, wait, if two out of four people in the car were invited to a reception, maybe we can squeeze two people in to the wedding. So we're on the freeway and Tony's like, you guys want to go? I'm like, all right, let's go. And we drive back to the, uh, to the ceremony. They're still taking like group pictures at, um, at, the, at the ceremony site. And uh, Stephen's brother, Scott, <laughs> we say okay maybe we've asked steven's brother or scott we can kind of get our way in and so we hey scott like um uh jeff and i we weren't invited to the reception but um william and tony were is there like two spots left um and scott's like yeah let, let me ask steven and so he walks up to steven who's taking pictures with his wife like <laughs> with everybody uh which is probably really disrespectful but i didn't know that as a youth i just wanted to go to the reception um I mean, Jeff, I don't remember what you're doing. Maybe we were praying like, Lord, please let us get in or whatever. Um, we're just like waiting in the hallways and Scott comes back like, hey, uh, you can go. There's two spots open. We're like, oh my gosh, yes. And so we happily, excitedly go to probably like NBC restaurant, Monterey Park, something like that. They're all called something um, like that. Um, and we were overjoyed because we didn't deserve to be there. We crashed a youth pastor's wedding and the whole time we were like, oh my gosh, we, I remember we parked in the, the parking structure. We saw um, their car because back then, I guess they, they used to decorate the cars that got married. So there's only one car that got married and we posed in front of it, took pictures. We were like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Um, and we were just like the whole time, just so, so um, overwhelmed 
that we would be extended this invitation. Um, and when I think about, like I, I got married uh, uh, three years ago, it's hard to think about. And I think I can understand the master. I didn't, I should ask my pastor, youth pastor, Stephen, how he felt when I asked him, but I can understand because I remember the night before my wedding, we were setting up in the Mac and the hardest thing is like, I couldn't invite everyone that I wanted to. That, that really broke my heart. And I remember a student went up to me that Friday night, the day before my wedding, and he just went up to me and said, hey, can I go? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, there's not really a lot of spots, but I just said, yeah, you, you can go. Just find a seat. I can't guarantee the spot, but just grab a metal chair, just pull up to like a table. Because like, I, how can I say no to someone who just said yes to that? And I remember, this is now wedding day, I remember, I think I looked into the, into the audience and I, I saw a kid that I didn't invite. I'm like, oh shoot, how do you get there? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, all his friends are going. Now I feel really, really bad. And after our ceremony, Vanessa and I were driving to take pictures somewhere. I'm like, you know, I feel so bad. I'm like, okay, I texted the, the kid's mom, like, hey, like I saw him here, like just tell me you can go the way and just find a seat anywhere. Like, I feel so bad that he's here and he can't attend the wedding. And at that point, it's the day of your wedding, like, who cares? Just let them all in. And I think I can really understand. I share that because I think I can really understand um, the master in this parable. It's not because I felt like, oh my gosh, we need like more people. I just didn't want these students who showed up just to miss out. I, I wanted them to, I would have felt horrible the rest of my life if they showed up and they just went, went away. And I think likewise, God on an infinite larger scale He's not insecure. He doesn't want to fill heaven with human beings because he's lonely. He wants to fill heaven with sinners because he loves you, even when you and I do not deserve it, even when you and I are sinners. And I think that really gives us a glimpse of the heart of our father. One commentator just blew me away when I read this. God wants to save you more than you yourself wants to be saved. Think about that. God wants to save you more than you yourself want to be saved. And that kind of makes sense. God knows the reality of hell. He knows the eternal torment that is awaiting those who reject him. We've never been there. You read some descriptions about it. But God also knows the beauties and glories of heaven. And so, of course, God, who sees the whole picture, wants to save you more than you want to save yourself. God loves you more than you love him. And I pray that tonight you would see that sometimes we make excuses. We are like the three individuals. We make excuses to politely reject God's kingdom, but if only we knew what we were rejecting. And so if we go to the next slide, the big idea for today the good things in life can sometimes blind us from the best thing, knowing and following Jesus. I want you to think about that because the enemy, Satan, he often uses good things in your life, your, your sports, your, your schoolwork, your uh, college applications, your, your friends. These are good gifts. But any good gift can often be ultimately um, prioritized over the place of God. And so I really hope we, we recognize this. Good things in life can sometimes blind us from the best thing, knowing 
and following Jesus. I want to end with maybe like a little demonstration. I, I rarely do this, but I thought, you know, hey, I mean, let's do something. Um, so I brought some, uh, um, I'll show you what I brought. It's an empty mason jar. It's not that cool. <laughs> but I want you to imagine um, that this mason jar represents your heart. All right. You can fill it with what you love. You can fill it with, um, I don't know what you guys love, um, video games, school, BTS, <laughs> AO. Oh, I heard some loyal person out there. <laughs> so I want us to, this is just going to represent anything in life. It could be, uh, I'll tell you the things I value. I like my camera. I like watching movies. I like Disney plus. I like, um, I don't play Minecraft. Sorry. <laughs> I like food a lot. I, I like editing videos. I, I like to do a lot of these things. Um, and I got some rocks. All right. These are outside my apartment. Um, I'll return them after, but I want us, I want these rocks to represent, um, Jesus Christ, like the gospel, because Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation that we apply. So the question is, how do you live life holding both of these in balance? Can you do both? Can you only, is it one, you can only follow Jesus, but not do this? Or can you only follow what you want to do, but you can't have Jesus? Is there a way to, to do both? Um, yeah, that, that, yes, there is a way. <laughs> but often we don't live like it. And a lot of times, um, actually, can I get a volunteer? Uh, let's see, Eris, Eris, get him. <laughs> hey. uh, give him a hand. <laughs> So, Urs, I just want you to fill this mason jar with rice. It's really simple. Um, so, as he's filling the mason jar with, uh, with rice, I want you to imagine that that's you prioritizing, you know, things you want to do. Like, you know, I want to um, buy, like, a camera. I want to buy those new pair of shoes. I want to do well in school. You want to sleep. You want to do these things. Um, as you're doing this, I remember we all said you volunteered for that Christmas party to light the candles. You guys remember that like a couple of years ago? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as Urs is doing that, um, um, you can go faster if you want. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, and as he's pouring, I'll, I guess I'll share with you like in high school, like this is what I valued in high school. I wasn't good at school, so I didn't uh, value school. Just keep going to empties. <laughs> But I, I was on the volleyball team and I didn't want to uh, be bad at volleyball. So I prioritized going to practice, going to a club, joining a club, um, watching YouTube videos on like the Olympics to make sure how copy their form. Um, I, I care about being with my friends on the weekend. So I prioritize, I always look forward to um, biking with my friends on the weekends. I love going to church, not because of Jesus, but because of my friends. We always sit together. Um, and uh, what else? I, I loved going to the movies. Uh, I had this really, I guess, uh, tradition. I always go to Jamba Juice and then go to the movies. It was like the perfect, like just sipping on, you know, Baja, not Baja Blast, um, Mango Go Go or like Caribbean Passion, and you're just enjoying a movie. But uh, 
Um, <laughs> it's a, you keep going. <laughs> and now I want you to imagine if you fill your life first, if you, the, if the foundation of your life is built on anything besides God, you'll fill your heart. Um, maybe like one more scoop. Um, but now, uh, after you do that, why don't you, uh, give me this. Um, now I want earth. Try to fill, try to put every rock, try to fill as the couple with as much rocks as you can. Um, and that rock, it's going to represent the gospel. When you, um, fill your life first, prioritize other things first in life. And then you try to add God on top of that. Uh, you're, you're going to see that not, not everything is going to fit. I mean, you can add a little bit, but not everything's going to fit. And, uh, yeah, just stop there. Thank you, Urs. Um, you can see that it kind of fits, but the foundation, it's, um, it's, uh, you see the priority. It's like school, it's friends, it's sports, it's things like that. The rocks kind of come after. But now, uh, now what I want us to do now, Urs, you're gonna, what happens if we put the rocks first? Let's try to put the rocks first and see what happens. Um, so, Urs, why don't you just put, oh, put all the rocks into this mason jar. Oh, you can fish it from here, so you can open that thing again. <laughs> um, yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> yeah, just put it, put it all in there. What Urs is going to find, um, yeah, yeah, it, it might do that. Um, <laughs> he's going to find that He's able to put all the rocks in there, um, and the sand will actually fit. Now, he's going to see that not every sand will fit in there, because when you put God first, um, you will be able to have nice things in life, but you might not have everything. Uh, I think about my own life. I think when I truly began to prioritize God, I think it was in college. Um, I could have God, and I could also enjoy like my camera, my friends. But I also look at my non-Christian friends and I realize, you know what? There is a sacrifice. I, I can't pursue the careers they had that made a lot of money. Uh, I can't have the weekend they have where they sleep in on Sundays, which sometimes feels nice. That's a sacrifice. I, I can't have that. Um, but if I fill my life and um, anchor it with the right things, I'll still have built to enjoy some things, but at least I know the first priority is taken care of. The gospel is the foundation of our life. Um, and so, um, yeah. Thank you, Urs. I think that, that's, that's good enough. <laughs> All right, let's give Urs a hand. <laughs> so ideally, it should have been like, you see how like the sand, it'll still fit. Um, the rocks are still there. You'll still be able to enjoy certain good things in life. Um, see, the rocks are still there, but it's the foundation. You see, when you put God first and then, and then you set everything else afterwards, life works, life fits. But when you try to fill your life first with sand and the lesser things like school, sports, friends, you can try all you want, but the rocks won't fit. The gospel doesn't, it's not just an add-on on top of every, everything else. And I hope that the three friends or the three individuals in this parable, they didn't get that. They tried to fill the sand first, but they forgot about the rocks, forgot about the gospel.
So I'll end with this quote from Luke 9.25. Ask yourself this. What good is it if you gain the world but lose your soul? If you got everything you wanted in life but you didn't have the gospel, did you truly win in life? And that's the question I want to leave you with. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we see in this parable, there are many who will reject, politely reject the gospel. They will make polite excuses, legitimate excuses for good things. But Lord, may they know the truth that at the end of the day, polite rejection is outright rebellion. I pray that every single soul here would know that they would live eternally. It's not, it's not a matter of how long. It's a matter of location. They will either be with you after they die or they will be apart from you. I pray that every single soul here will wrestle that question. What have I done with a gospel invitation? Help us to think about that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and find your small groups.